Hello everyone, this is Todd Harris and I am joined by Jose Chan. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Brick and Data podcast is produced every week or two for your enjoyment. So let's get on with it. This is episode one of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, get ready for some sales. It's back to school. Walmart is buying growth. Target is getting cozy with Harry's. Ralph Lauren did something controversial at the Rio Olympics. So this back to school stuff, I tell you, I saw um, starting in the end of, I want to say mid-July to the end of July, Jose, back to school stuff was already starting, not even in the ads, but, you know, these articles, Retail Dive was talking about it. A lot of these, you know, NRF was talking about it. They're talking about back to school sales and how retailers are planning already. I mean, it was it was a little horrifying to me. I mean, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, Todd. What's interesting is, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's the second largest season uh, for retailers uh, past holiday. Yeah. And if you think about it, that that's a really interesting point. Why is it? Then the question to me is, why is it the second largest season? And uh, I, I, as I'm thinking about this, to, to what you're saying. Because I've seen it as well at the stop and shops. You see it in the um, the back to school aisles. If you think about it, it's related back to the fact that, uh, and you tell me what you think, but it seems like because millennials comprise the largest uh, size of the population. So you know, as we we've said um, in our conversations, you know, millennials uh, pretty much is, is anyone born between 1981 and 1996. And because they're between the ages um, of 20 and 35 uh, and comprise 80 million Americans. Oh, they're taking over the world. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it seems like it, these are peak years for, for having children. So it, it's, it's, I think, indicative of, of the overall, let's say, sea change in our overall country, yeah. country's landscape. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I think I've just succeeded to anger the millennials, if any are listening um, and, and, and officially, you know, I drive them away from the podcast right off the bat. So, uh, good on me. Right. Um, no, I, I completely, I completely agree. It's really interesting to see the, the spending behaviors change and the shopping behaviors change, uh, across some of these generations and the preferences they have from either buying online or actually going to a store. And, um, I think I was reading also, uh, not only, but yeah, the millennials having their own preferences and how they buy, but the next generation, I believe it's generation Z. Is that the, mm -hmm. the ones below them? In fact, I think my 12-year-old, um, my 12-year-old son is technically part of that. So, you know, they're very uh, agnostic when it comes to brands and they, they don't, I don't think they really care as much, but they would prefer, I think, to a degree from what I was reading, uh, that they would like, they would rather go to a physical store. There must be some kind of a connection they have in that sense or feeling, you know, that um, that they're grasping onto something or they feel that it's it's doing something for them that it isn't for the millennials, I guess. So who knows what that is or what that's from or how that, you know, how that resulted. But it seems to be um, considering a lot of those folks and a lot of the a lot of the Generation Z, uh, the younger kids are the ones that are prepping for school right now. And you're looking at these numbers where the, you know, the buying behavior in physical stores is going up. Uh, maybe there's some correlation there. Yeah, I think so. Look, I, to, to your point, I, I think generationally, 
often what happens is uh, every generation has its own, uh, let's say, defined set of behaviors. So yeah. let's say um, pre, pre-millennials, uh, let's say Gen, Gen X, brick and mortar was part of, of let's say, that, that generation's uh, everyday living, if you will. Yeah. Then afterwards, we have the millennials, as you rightfully pointed out, uh, are more digital natives. And then now is we're talking, looking at Gen Z because everyone's part of, I mean, we, we tend to segment, but it's all really the same. It, it's hard to segment when you're actually living in a supermarket with all ages or in, a, yeah. or in an office where all ages are represented. Gen Z, I think, is more back a little bit like Gen X, right, where the physical is important mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, I mean, it's this. It, by the way, this this topic came around because of a survey that was done and I mentioned Retail Dive before because that's where I saw this this blurb. Um, it was a survey done by AT Kearney, which is a consulting company. Um, there were interesting stats. So there's there's a few of them, and they all kind of lead towards this one direction. So one of the stats was 80% of shoppers surveyed planned to spend at least as much or more than they did last year during the same period. So that that's very interesting. I mean, that's 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 heavily leaning on on uh, on a spend increase and. 57% of survey respondents were doing back-to-school buying in the physical stores, which goes to some of our comments before. Of course, it's not like these you know, 12, 13-year-olds are sitting there answering a survey. It's most likely their parents in this case. Sure. Um, and 91% of the respondents in the survey said that competitive pricing is their main concern. So this is interesting, and that's where, you know, that's where we're going to see that big pot of gold, which is you know, all this money that's being spent right now we're right in the thick of it actually we're leading into the thick of it is who's going to get that first right so how fast are they going to how aggressive are they going to be with their pricing how long are they how long are they going to hold out until they get that that markdown or that pricing uh, to the point where people are going to buy and you know how much do they trust that people are going to stick around with for their store to buy what they need or if they're going to bounce somewhere else to get that 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 cheaper price and they seem to be very affected by that uh, this year more than any other year no, you're right. And I think, look, if you think about what's going on in retail overall, uh, still tying it back to the A.T. Carney study, yeah. um, what's going on is, uh, look, we've gotten the, as retailers, we've gotten the American consumer used to discounts. And so whenever there isn't a discount, right, it almost uh, unfortunately becomes it's a weird. negative. Yeah, it's a weird <laughs> feeling. It's, maybe is it the Amazon effect, which we'll get to in a minute, but is it that? You know, is, are we just used to that, this constant... <laughs> small little red line or whatever, this little discount that we see all the time. It's got to be that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's, we, we've just, as Americans, have gotten used to this just because retailers have gotten us used to this. It, it's a benefit that we often overlook, but it just, we take for granted that when we don't have that discount, well, I'll just wait for it to go on sale. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, interesting time. We'll see how it all pans out over the next, uh, over the next few weeks. And I'll be one of those shoppers, I think. Uh, out with my two kids getting the stuff they need in store, most likely. All right, so let's move on here. So the, there's another another interesting news story, and this isn't that well. It is sort of new this past week, and but it's it's definitely taking an effect uh, as far as you see some of these big brick and mortar, uh, these big brick and mortar retailers attempting to, in their way, compete with Amazon, and they're and they're doing this. Um, in a few ways, and, and this this news here from Walmart acquiring Jet, uh, looking to acquire Jet.com, or did it actually execute for three point three billion? I think yeah, it executed, it, right? Yeah, it, it executed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So 
they actually acquired him for 3.3 billion and um this is their strategy it seems like in 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 attempting to compete with amazon and uh I, I don't know. I kind of admit, have mixed feelings about it. I don't, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's not like, I don't know. I'm not a huge Jet.com user, but the, I think we need to look at some of the numbers around, you know, the propensity to buy, looking at the users, the Jet.com users and what they, you know, when they're not buying at Jet.com, what would they, where would they prefer to buy? And where do, you know, shoppers at Walmart prefer to buy when they're not buying at Walmart, that kind of thing. And, can Walmart.com get to where they need to based on this acquisition? I don't know. Sure. Those yeah. are really good questions, Todd. And and look, I've been throwing those questions or similar questions at least, not the exact yeah. same ones in my head this week as this story has unfolded. And if you think about what's happening, right, Walmart is the largest retailer, uh, brick and mortar that is, in, in the world, right? And so as you pointed out, Amazon is really the what they're trying to the, the, to compete against. The retailer that's pure play; it's only online, uh, except for some bookstores that it, that it has. And what happens is, I think, as they integrate Jet.com, they'll integrate them as a separate division. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is a play in where what Walmart's looking to to do. And, and tell me what you think. Uh, I. It feels like what Walmart's looking to do is essentially increase the consumers that would normally buy at Amazon yes. uh, while keeping Jet.com separate from Walmart, right? There may be synergies to be had, but we know in many business acquisitions, the synergies don't often pan out mm-hmm. as um, you know companies or CEOs often state. But what, what, what does happen is that they have a separate business where they'll have uh, customers uh, and a business that shows growth. Right when their same store sales are perhaps not showing growth, yeah. or their e-com business is perhaps not growing as quickly as they would like to see it grow. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So you think they're going to keep? You think they're going to keep Jet the way it is, but just make it a kind of a subsidiary of Walmart? Just keep it, perhaps change the branding or make it another tab you click on or keep it that way and keep it jet.com on its own just kind of a walmart company or something like that do you think that's the yeah. way it's going to be yeah probably at least for now right yeah. until they can um figure out a way to integrate it i, I don't think their play yeah. was really to integrate because jet.com is already a well-known yeah that would be kind say, of silly right i mean taking two well-known brands like that and smashing them together it's there's probably no benefit in doing that at least at this time, right? Yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, it's Jet.com hasn't been around for that long. No, it hasn't. It's almost... Uh, it's still new year. and fresh and shiny here. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Plus or minus one year mm-hmm. is really roughly where where it is, just to give a, a concrete number. Yeah. Uh, and uh, their growth has been phenomenal. So I think that they're trying to capitalize on that growth um, because I, I think... You know, if they've been adding, let's say, 350,000 customers per month, that is Jet.com, that's a pretty healthy growth rate for e-com. Oh, it, it's it's really impressive. And I mean, the, yeah, the 350K, 350,000 customers per month that Jet is accumulating, it, you know, it's clear that, in, well, in my opinion and in as many others' opinions, it's not a unique opinion, but Walmart is acquiring them for the customers, for sure, right, mm-hmm. for the for the people. Um, but then you got to look at, yeah, sure, maybe they have bought from Jet at some point, but 
what does that mean going forward? Are they suddenly just going to, are they going to have this, this loyalty to Jet or to Walmart that other people would, or they might to Amazon? And that, I think that's an interesting way to look at it here because there may be some existing issues that Walmart has in general that can't be solved by just acquiring jet.com, right? So maybe, maybe, well, not maybe, but for sure, there's been surveys, um, one that I'll reference that I need to find the source and I'll link it in the show notes when we put them up. Um, but it was driven by Prosper Insights and they were doing some analysis about this showing the customer preference for Amazon versus Walmart.com. And while Amazon's has risen in the past five years, 14.5% or so, um, preference for Walmart has dropped about 2.5%. So that's kind of an interesting thing to see there. I mean, loyalty is just rising. And even for me as a, as a shopper, it's, it's, it's getting ridiculous with, with Amazon, the amount that the frequency at which I purchase from there and the, and the kind of pedestal I put it on you know, any, anywhere I go. And I don't know if you're really the same way. I think a lot of people are, it's kind of a non-unique way to be. So like just a common way to be when you're pricing things out, or if you're, you want to feel, you know, warm and fuzzy about buying something, in my opinion, to buy it from Amazon. So they've got this, this challenge there with that. And, and also it's, the same survey was showing that um, a good chunk of jet.com's customers. The, so that customers, the customer base at Walmart's acquiring 70% of those even prefer Amazon over Walmart itself. So that's an interesting thing there too. So maybe this is part of their strategy. And as they go through this acquisition, as they start moving through it from a, um, even if it's just a base technology integration, what can, what can they do with that to try to convert some of those? And you're uh, right. And, and I, I fully agree. Look, uh, with Amazon prime, look for those of us like you that, uh, have gone on it, it, you get used to free shipping, right? Or two day shipping. Uh, and once you're used to that, Yep. And you get off Amazon, let's say, and you find a product that you may not find on Amazon as readily. Um, you'll kind of think twice sometimes, at least I do. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to buy um, from them, and then I'll go back to Amazon. <laughs> and if they have the free shipping, even uh, I, that's yeah. where the business goes. Yeah, to, that's to, true. To, yeah. to your point, I mean, in terms of not being a unique customer. And then the, yeah. the other thing to consider, right? I, I kind of view this Walmart. Um, kind of like what you said at the beginning, it's a little bit like uh, when Ralph Lauren actually purchased uh, the corporation that is, not, not, not the brand, but the corporation mm-hmm. um, purchased uh, another company um, and people didn't know that it's part of Ralph Lauren. And the company I'm referring to is Club Monaco. Oh. Right? So it's, it's a way of having... A, a customer that's distinct, right? Ralph Lauren, if you look at all the brands, however you slice it, it's a preppy uh, classic brand vis-a-vis Club Monaco, which is a little bit more, let's say, contemporary in fashion. Mm-hmm. So if you take that analogy, Walmart is your traditional uh, discount big box retailer taking on something a little bit cooler, which is a jet.com, and then it's a nice way of attracting the uh, Amazon customer that they normally wouldn't have, bring them in. And if you take that a little bit further, maybe in terms of synergies, which you're also getting beyond just the, let's say, platforms or any other uh, types of tech that might come into the deal, from the back end that is, you're probably also getting insights, which is key. You're getting insights from your distinct consumer base that you could apply 
to your Walmart business model. That is taking Jet.com insights from online, apply them to Walmart, and tweak it. And that might be part of the play as well. I, I don't know. Yeah, what, what I, are mean, your thoughts? I think it's $3.3 billion worth of data. I mean, that's... <laughs> It's it's the data and the yeah like you said the, the amount of intelligence in that data the amount of insights they're going to get from that data assuming they've you know they've got the ability to kind of siphon all of that out um, is invaluable you know you can't really put a sticker on that for those guys I mean this is it's a big deal so yeah I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it happens not really like we said not from an integration perspective but just to see how they leverage that data it'll a lot of that'll be in, you know um, transparent to us but. Maybe we'll see some subtle results from that uh, initially from a marketing perspective, you know, maybe we'll see something there where, um, you know, they might, they might be trying to find commonalities and buying behaviors or something. Um, yeah, I, I who knows? Agree. I don't know. Who knows what they'll start with? I would agree because if you think about it, uh, again, going back to the, we started um, talking earlier prior to talking about um, Amazon, um, Walmart, and Jet.com um, about the AT Carney study, and I mentioned millennials, yeah. and, and I think yeah. Walmart has struggled uh, with this whole um, business of how do you bring millennials into your store, brick and mortar, or online for that fact, right? Especially yeah. if, if we take the data uh, that you mentioned earlier from the AT Carney study, um, where back to school shopping percentage wise, year on year, uh, this versus last year is increasing, then the question then becomes, well, how do you capitalize on that if you're Walmart? Uh, let's say if we're sitting in the CEO or in the C-suite, how do we as the executive team capture that consumer? And this might be a way of maybe indirectly capturing the consumer up until we can figure out how to integrate that consumer directly into our Walmart business model. There you go. Sneaky stuff. We're going to see. <laughs> we, we, we will see. Well, we'll have to track this and maybe talk more about it and. uh I don't know, in a couple of months, got to give these behemoths some time to, uh, to, you know, to make some adjustments and to start implementing some things, but we'll see. We'll keep our eyeballs on it. Fixated. We are staring at you, Walmart and jet.com. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Jose, do you use, um, you don't use Harry's shaving products, do you? Um, it's just better. Hopefully it doesn't get too personal here. I don't no, want to no, get too no. personal. I, I, but, yeah, I, I actually do use Harry's, uh, yeah. products. Do you really? I've been <laughs> meaning to try and I haven't yet. I'm still one of the old school Gillette guys and I need to stop. But anyway, <laughs> actually, it's interesting. You mentioned Harry's. Um, Harry's <clears throat> uh, is another one of these companies, right? That um, is was founded by one of the four co-founders uh, of Morby Parker, Jeff Rader. Yeah, and it's an interesting story because it, it's in that same vein. If you think Harry's, it's in the same vein as like a Warby Parker. Uh, you could say it in the same breath as you could say Bonobos, Birchbox, all of these up and coming, yeah. let's say, subscription digital stuff, retailers. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's weird now because this is um, the whole point of bringing up Harry's now is is to mention that they're going to be on shelves at Target, which is really weird considering their business model is not that. And um, I don't, I haven't gotten many details on exactly how much inventory they're splitting off for this or, you know, how much. Um, Oh, what type of revenue split they're getting from this or how that's working for them. But I find it very interesting uh, that they're actually going to have shelf space at Target for something that's a completely different model. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to go there and buy it. I, I would probably just start subscribing most likely, but I, I don't really know yet. I haven't I haven't gotten there in my switch. Mm -hmm. but, 
But uh, but but I think that's the yeah. key, Todd. I mean, if you yeah. think about it, you, you just hit on the the key point there. You said you might not buy it there, but you might try it as a subscription. But I think that that is really what has legs, at least from a Harry standpoint, right? So we could take two different uh, lenses: the Harry's and the Target standpoint uh, or lens. So if you take the tar- the sorry Harry standpoint, what you're looking at is if let's go back. So I had mentioned a little bit earlier that you could say Warby Parker, Bonobos, Harry's, all in the same breath. Now, if you think of what happened with Bonobos, they actually started only online. So they were a pure play retailer. What happens? Their customers told them that they wanted to not to have to buy them, but not to see them online. Mm-hmm. So they started their guide shops, right? So they mm-hmm. started opening guide shops, but still market was too small. So what did they do? So they had to start selling wholesale. So they start selling wholesale to places like Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about this progression of being online only, what you have to do or the strategy that seems to make sense given the case studies that we see in these, let's say, new uh, up-and-coming retailers um, is that you need to have some, let's say, presence physically, mm-hmm. right? So even if you don't buy at Target, at least you'll be exposed to the name Harry's. <laughs> at least you'll look real, right? <laughs> exactly. Just some, some yeah, bits and bytes of, of, of internet. And, no, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Because if you think of online, <laughs> I don't know, does do that really actually... apply anymore, though? I mean, and maybe maybe like six, seven years ago, that would have been. But I don't know. I mean, we were just talking about Gen X and, and, and the millennials. I, I think they're they're happy to buy something random, not random, but some some brand on the Internet on a page from some startup company named Harry's rewind maybe two years ago when they were just coming out and uh, making a name for themselves, I, I think they would be fine with it. Clearly, they have been fine with it. I mean, uh, you know, they've been doing very well. So, but maybe for some, maybe they're trying to reach, like you said before, maybe they're trying to reach a whole different buyer here, right? Yeah. Which they that, seem to be. Yeah, I think, look, if they want to scale, like uh, really scale, yeah. then I think it, it's not just millennial. I think we, we yeah. often talk about millennials, uh, and perhaps in this case, shaving products, we're also talking about uh, Gen Z, uh, those Gen Zers that are, let's say, closer to the, the let's say, younger millennials in age. So we're talking yep. about the teenagers. Uh, they're just starting to shave. It's a good way of, of reaching out to them, right? Or, or anyone else for that fact. It could be Gen X. It could be baby boomers. Uh, because it's just, uh, again, you, you just have to differentiate. And I fully agree that at least with millennials and not just millennials, but anyone who has that mindset, let's say, yeah. will definitely uh, take, take a um, product online or purchase a product online. But, but the key is also, you know, how do you appeal to someone who might not do that? And how do you dif- differentiate, which is, I think, the key? Because there's yeah. so much proliferation. And sure, you, you'll, you'll take a gamble sometimes. But the key, I think, is differentiation. And if you could differentiate yourself by being top of mind physically in a store as you're going to do your shopping at Target, it, it might pay off. Yeah. It's another one we got to watch. You know, I, I kind of want to go to Target now just to see if it's already there. I think they're probably there by now, but who knows? Um, just to see what the presence looks like. Just to see. I don't know. Maybe I'll take... Maybe I'll take my twelve-year-old there when he's uh, when he's ready. <laughs> no, not quite yet, but <laughs> soon, soon. 
Oh man. Well, well one last topic, uh, and we can we can call episode one a thing. Um, the last thing was kind of interesting. You're watching the Olympics like every everyone else, right? Yeah. The Olympics, yeah. Yeah. Watching watching exciting. the swimmers, the gymnasts. It's it's all good stuff. I didn't. I got to be honest. I didn't watch the uh, opening ceremonies. Uh, very very briefly did. I don't know why. I just didn't really get into them. But and this is probably why I I, I missed this originally. It took me finding an article on it. Ralph Lauren um, made some interesting design decisions for uh, the Team USA's uniforms. Uh, so if you noticed while you were watching, they had, you know, those those snazzy looking blue blazers on and they had the um, uh, this, these these shirts, sweaters, I'm not sure, underneath them that were red, white and blue striped looking almost exactly like the Russian flag. So, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I get that, uh, you know, Ralph Lauren's looking to bring back uh, the old and uh, make it look like maybe it did um, Olympics, Olympics uh, from Olympics past. But that's a little bit of a little bit of an issue there, you know. Yeah, I'm considering some of also considering some of the scandals that Russia's going through right now. I thought that was very interesting to see a major, you know, major brand retailer getting in there and uh, making a very aggressive decision, you know. I'm with you, but but I think look, if you think about it, uh, it depends on how they spend the publicity because in tandem, I think the yeah. so the Olympics, you know, re- recently started, and this past week, uh, Ralph. Uh, Lauren Corporation had its uh, annual shareholders meeting. Hmm. And as you know, they have a new CEO, uh, Larson, uh, that has a pedigree. I didn't know that, actually. How new? Okay. Okay. So so, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it then. So uh, Larson came in from his pedigree was at Old Navy and Uh H&M. He's 41 years old. And he was presented by Ralph Lauren in this last week's shareholders meeting. And uh, Ralph Lauren started by saying, hi, I'm Ralph Lauren. Presented the board, presented Larson. And this was the first time that actually Larson um, addressed investors. And what they're trying to do at Polo, right, and it ties back to this whole um, uh, Olympic uniform piece, is that they're trying to shake shake things up there. Because if, if you, you've um, seen recently, Ralph Lauren has been having a tough – uh, time, uh, kind of with identity, yep. which is why even Ralph Lauren himself, the the designer, uh, former CEO, uh, now chairman, uh, said that he had made a couple of decisions, or they had made a couple of decisions in the past, which is why he was very comfortable with Larson being on board to reach a newer customer, right? And yep. they've been having a heck of a time trying to compete with the likes of other, let's say, upstarts. They're similar to Ralph Lauren. So for example, their biggest competitor right now is probably Vineyard Vines and they're valued right now at approximately a billion dollars. You have other companies that are maybe not as big but still play in that let's say classic traditional uh, place. Companies like Southern Tide Mm -hmm. uh, would be some uh, other companies that are not American but kind of that, that preppy Look. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. That whole. Yeah. I. I get it. I see it. And you look at. Uh, you see Ali Raisman's dad. It looks like either he really likes Ralph Lauren or he's getting a nice uh, sponsorship. Uh, <laughs> <Or discount. laughs> considering he's either wearing the same shirt or has multiples of the same shirt uh, over multiple days. Uh, yeah. I think there's there's something going on there. But I mean, look, it, it makes sense for them. I mean, they're. This is certainly getting them a little bit of press. It may not be the best press, but hey, you know what? As we've seen. 
um, over the past few years and through this 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 election season. Bad press is essentially not bad press. Any press is good press. So um, especially for these guys here for for Ralph Lauren. So it's it's interesting to watch. And it's not like other teams are exempt. I mean, Australian teams having a similar issue. But, you know, there's apparently looks like a medical card, uh, the logo. So I <laughs> I don't know which one I'd choose. Maybe I'd choose the medical card. I, I don't really know. But um, it's it's interesting to watch. And they're certainly plastered all over the place with the Ralph Lauren logo and such. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Got to do it. <laughs> well, that is the show. That's considered an episode one. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have questions, comments, feedback, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. And we'll be anxiously awaiting for any opinions, good and bad. Um, And until next time, we will see you and take care.